We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Oregon fell to Washington in the Pac-12 championship, and we got to break it down. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. It is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023, coming to you from Long Beach, California, and wow, well, I'll be honest, I wish I was uh, coming to you on better terms. We are going to be breaking down the 2023 Pac-12 championship between Oregon and Washington. I know I'm pretty late getting around to this, but I did want to give my thoughts on this game scene that I was on scene in Las Vegas for this one at Allegiant Stadium and man, there is so much to get into with this game. So let's break it all down. So Oregon drops the game to UW, 34-31 final. Three straight losses now for Oregon to UW by a combined nine points. There. It doesn't matter how you slice it. This was a brutal end to the regular season or start to the postseason for Oregon, however you want to view it. Because it really felt like Oregon had the advantage, certainly the momentum, in almost every category. I think... Certainly the UW wide receivers, you have to give them a tremendous amount of credit. That is a truly elite group of pass catchers. Watching Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan operate from the press box at this game was just amazing. And I think really one of the many things that this game comes down to in the end is Oregon came out flat. Oregon came out so incredibly flat, particularly on offense, right? I think I think the um, the defense held them to a field goal on their opening drive. So that was was a, a plus, I would say. Um, 
just being able to hold an elite offense to to a field goal, Grady Gross field goal. But in their first two offensive drives, Oregon had the ball for less than two minutes, ran six plays, and gained a total of nine yards on those two drives. And felt like it was a little weird maybe from the beginning when Bo Nix's first pass of the night hit the official. And then you have um, you have a couple more incomplete passes after that. Um, three straight incompletions to start. That obviously doesn't help you. But they, they had a chance in this game until um, after their – so they had the two straight punts, a field goal, and then UW got their first touchdown in – or the, sorry, their second touchdown in four plays covering 75 yards in under two minutes. So they were just explosive. And really, that's kind of where it started to fall apart for Oregon with, with that slow start offensively because you just, like, from that point on, it just felt like you were asking for so much from that defense. You were trotting the defense back out there, play at, or drive after drive, just kind of putting it in their hands, you know, needing to get, uh, a stop needing to limit the the drives to a field goal needing to force a turnover so that that was one of the things that was particularly hard for Oregon and and that ultimately went wrong is that they got off to a slow start offensively which is something that is completely foreign to them I think this year they just haven't really had to to overcome they haven't had to overcome that slow start from Bo Nix and the Oregon offense and then Another thing that really hurt Oregon um, is the third down efficiency. On both sides of the ball, Oregon was just really struggling to get off the field when they needed to and to put together sustained drives consistently in Las Vegas. If you're looking at the, the third down efficiency, Oregon's offense was 3 for 10 on third down. And then on the other side of the ball, Washington was 10 for 15 on third down. So they would finally get them to the third down and have an opportunity to kind of stop the bleeding and get off the field. But no, Washington just kept moving the sticks and you have to give a tremendous tip of the cap to Ryan Grubb, the Washington offensive coordinator in this game. He called a great, great game for the Huskies, um, really getting some awesome matchups for them. And I think that the, the Washington offensive strategy was pretty pretty uh, varied, I would say. I think if we're looking at those wide receivers, it almost felt like it was kind of death by a thousand cuts, uh, if that's the phrase, because they, they were Penix was doing a great job of just getting the ball out fast every single time. Um, it really felt like he didn't have a lot of opportunities. Oregon's defense didn't have a lot of opportunities to get after the quarterback and ultimately get sacks, get hits on him, create that pressure. And we knew that Oregon was going to need to try to get pressure on Penix to throw him off his game. And that, that just didn't happen. We, we've seen all year the the efforts and the lengths that Washington has gone to to keep Penix upright, and that continued. But if you're going to be generating pressure or at least trying to generate pressure by sending a lot of guys, you're going to be putting your cornerbacks on islands. And these are the best wide receivers that Oregon has seen all year. Um so you knew you were going to have to rely on man-to-man coverage or just your, your DBs to step up big time in this one. And, and, and Oregon was shorthanded at DB. Jaleel Florence didn't play in the Oregon State game. 
and he again wasn't available in the Pac-12 title game. And, you know, Dan Lanning sitting there in the post-game press conference, um, he, he was very adamant just about giving Washington credit um, and not relying or falling back on injuries as a, a cop-out or an excuse. Injuries happen to every team in the country. No one's playing football right now completely healthy. This is why you recruit the way that you do in the high school ranks and certainly in the transfer portal. That's going to be a big topic of conversation now that the, the offseason has not officially started, seeing that the Ducks are going to play. Um, I have the ticker here saying the, the Liberty Bowl. Let me change that. They're heading to the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty. There we go. Um, I don't know why I can't believe I didn't realize that, but, um, the off season kind of has started, even though there is one more game on the schedule, you have guys in the transfer portal, uh, you have, um, coaches on the road recruiting ahead of the early signing period, coaches moving, uh, Oregon staff hasn't had any movement of yet, but for all intents and purposes, the off season has started. So, um, Oregon's DBs, that's how I got there. Their, their depth was really tested. Um, they didn't have Ty, uh, they didn't have Brian Addison for a majority of the year, right? He he had last played in October, so the the safety depth was tested. Kyrie Jackson was a little bit banged up in this one, so he was kind of in and out throughout the game. And you had Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning playing a lot for you. Cole Martin, a true freshman DB, was getting some snaps there in the biggest possible moments. And give some credit to Nico Reed. He came up with a big sack in that game on Michael Penix. And that was an opportunity, I think, kind of for a little bit of a, moment, a momentum swing. Um, but or Oregon's DBs were, were, were put to the test uh, on Friday night in Las Vegas. And I know I was sitting up there with my buddy Spencer McLaughlin, finally got to meet him, uh, host, host of the Locked On Ducks podcast and the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. There's a lot of awesome work, but finally got to meet him. And it was cool how it worked out because the guy next to me, um, in the press box didn't show up. So Spencer and I got to take in a game uh, together and, and he was telling me, man, how many times do you think Taishim Johnson has been matched up against Romo Dunze? Like that just goes to show you what Ryan Grubb was doing with the, the, the um, pre-snap alignment and the motions to, to get favorable matchups and probably ultimately get Romo Dunze away from Kyrie Jackson, Oregon's top cornerback. But they just had a lot of quick, short completions and then the other big story of the day, they also had some big explosive plays. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Penix only threw one touchdown on the day, 27 for 39 for 319 yards. But in a sense, they didn't need that much from Michael Penix because Dylan Johnson was having himself a day. Washington's running back was absolutely shredding Oregon on the ground, finishing the day with 28 carries for 152 yards and two touch two touchdowns, excuse me, over five yards a pop for Dylan Johnson. And Washington ran the ball for 157 yards and averaged just over four yards per carry. It sounds kind of weird now that you think about it, but their longest rush of the day was 18 yards. And I think Washington will take that, but they realized pretty early on that they were able to run the ball and get four, five yards nearly every time they handed the ball off to Dylan Johnson. And you had 28 carries for, for Dylan Johnson. And then 
the next closest behind that was Michael Penix Jr., whose longest run of the night was eight, eight yards. So he took on a tremendous workload for the Huskies in this one. And, and Oregon's run defense, which had been so good all year, didn't have an answer. And I think that you have to look at the line of scrimmage as, you know, an area where Oregon didn't show up. Um, they, they did finish the day with two sacks. Nico Reed had a sack and Popo Amavai had a sack on defense. And then Washington had three sacks themselves in this game. So they, they definitely showed up on the line of scrimmage and winning the line of scrimmage comes down to two things. In my opinion, it comes down to who wants it more and it comes down to execution and the reason I say who wants it more is because when you're blocking as an offensive line, you are imposing your will on the defensive line that's in front of you. You are saying, I want to go here. I want you to go here. And it's up to you to stop me. So I love watching trench warfare and seeing a great offensive lineman play. And Washington's offensive line did a great job. Both Washington and Oregon were named to the Joe Moore Award watch list on Wednesday, given to the best offensive line, the most outstanding offensive line unit in all of college football. And I think that Washington's ability to to win the battle at the line of scrimmage was something that obviously carried them a really long way in this game. And I think just watching the the momentum swings back and forth in this one. Um, I think some people have said, you know, they played three quarters in this game, which was, which I'd say was pretty accurate. I mean, that first quarter was basically a complete wash. Washington was leading 10, nothing after the first quarter and Oregon didn't get their first, first down until a couple minutes. I want to say into the second quarter. So when you, when you start that slow against a team as good as Washington, it's it's constantly going to be an uphill battle. And I do want to give some credit to Oregon. I don't want to just be hammering them this entire podcast, but obviously this wasn't one of their better games this year. Um, only their second loss of the season to the same team. But they did battle back. There was a point in time I was up there with Spencer and Washington had scored. And I was I think it was 20 to three at that point. And I was like, man. I don't know that one that might do it. This might be over. I I thought Oregon had came out struggling so violently, so mightily. I thought we were going to have a blowout on our hands. I I really did. And I was so shocked at how they came out because they had all the momentum. They had been dominating their opponents going into the game. Washington had been scraping by, scraping by, scraping by, but still pulling it out. And Washington just, flat out wanted it more and they executed it's kind of the the theme of the night so i think that another thing we have to talk about that i was super super shocked by was oregon's almost complete lack of a running game the ducks finished with 20 carries for 124 yards and one touchdown only three players recorded carries that's bo nicks jordan james and bucky irving and one of the most perplexing things the whole game was one, Bucky Irving was clearly not at 100%. He 
he did not have it in that Pac-12 title game. Uh, was able to score against Oregon State, but but definitely didn't really look like his usual self in those past two games. But they kept feeding it to him, which I can understand. There's a commitment to the run game, but what made that so puzzling is that Jordan James looked good. Jordan James was the more effective back, and they kept feeding it to Bucky Irving and going away from the hot hand when Jordan James so clearly had it. It seemed like Bucky Irving was was running into the backs of his blockers at times. He was just shaking in too much, going you know east west instead of playing north south, and just kind of. I, I was telling Spencer, I feel like he was kind of just playing playing like he was too wound up, too tight. So when you take out Bo Nix's 44-yard touchdown run, or not touchdown run, excuse me, his 44-yard run on the scramble, that wasn't even a designed run, Oregon finishes the day with 80 rushing yards. And we've we've talked about it earlier in the season, whether it was uh, Oregon's game plan or an opponent's game plan. We've talked about making the team play left-handed or with a hand behind their back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That, that's basically what Washington did. Oregon has been so dominant this year because... They've been such a such a balanced attack. They've been able to run the ball when they need to. They needed to. They they could pass the ball when they needed to. They have a quarterback that can hurt you with his legs and with his arm. But Oregon was neutralized running the ball, and it made their offense more predictable. I think that there were a couple of throws to Troy Franklin, and he came up with some big catches. Um, you know, moved the chains a couple of times, but it felt like some of those passes to Troy Franklin were just really predictable and Oregon's offensive numbers aside from third down third down was obviously the the biggest issue there, but they, they did have, it's crazy. The numbers don't tell the full story here because they averaged 6.2 yards a carry 
but clearly the run game wasn't there for them. And they just didn't play Oregon football. They just, they didn't execute. They didn't do what they had been doing all year. And Washington just, that you got to give a tip of the cap to them because they were really, really good in Las Vegas on Friday night. And this game was kind of wild. Like I said, it, it looked like there might've been a blowout on the way, but Oregon was able to fight back and you got to give them some credit for that. There were some momentum swings when Kyrie Jackson got that huge interception of Michael Penix, but then just a couple plays later for Bo Nix to go and turn it over. I mean, I was just so shocked. There were just so many times in that game where I just found myself asking, what is going on? What what am I watching right now? Because it didn't look anything like the Oregon team that we had seen throughout much of the year. And, and to go back to that Bo Nix interception, you know, you never want to, I, I don't want to put him on blast necessarily, but the, the decision to, to throw that, late across your body when you're scrambling near the sideline. I, I was almost getting Anthony Brown flashbacks. It wasn't that bad, but throw the ball away or just you, you can't do that. You're trying to do too much. And I think that that was just really shocking because Bo Nix is a phenomenal quarterback. He's been in some really big moments with Oregon. He's the most experienced quarterback in the history of college football. And then to see him go out there and, and make that decision was a head scratcher to say the least. Um, I think you do have to give props to a couple of guys who had some pretty good games. Terrence Ferguson had two touchdowns. One of them was a beautiful catch in the in the corner of the end zone. Um, and and I think that Oregon won the middle eight. And that that, that was kind of what, what got me thinking about that is that they were able to score the touchdown going into the half. They were able to show that they were an explosive offense. They can generate something when they really need to, when they're in a crunch. And then you come out of the half and you're able to get a stop. Like that that was ultimately what Oregon needed to, to have happen was you come out of the half and, and you get a touchdown. Um, Terrence Ferguson had the touchdown and then um, and then Kyrie Jackson got the pick. And then two plays later, Bo Nix throws a pick to Michelle Powell. And then they got a fourth down stop. That was when Nico Reed had that crazy fourth down stop. And then you answer that with a touchdown, three plays, 62 yards in a minute 30. Um, Jordan James ran in for a touchdown. And that was the answer that they needed. But ultimately it just, it was coming too late. And another big problem in this one, if we're talking about the line of scrimmage, Another challenge that Oregon had to overcome was the loss of Jordan Birch. I think Jordan Birch only played one drive in that game against Washington. And then it was just drive after drive. I had my binoculars and I was looking out there. Hey, any, any sign of Jordan Birch? How is he looking on the sideline? Is, is this guy going to come back in? And then it became pretty obvious well before halftime that his day was over and he was not going back in that game. And I think you initially look at that and say, okay, well, Oregon's got some depth on the D line. They have some depth on the edge, but it's a young depth. And that's not to say that young players can't play well. Obviously Oregon's had a bunch of that trio with Mateo, Blake purchase and Tatum to They played a lot of good football this year, but one of the realities 
they haven't played in a lot of big time games. And to, to ask those guys to kind of take on the, the burden of generating that pass rush and, and winning the line of scrimmage is it's a lot to ask from a young group. And the ducks had a bunch of experience on the interior, but after Birch went down, you had the young guys, the true freshmen, and then you had Mace Funa. So it, it just felt like that loss really took a lot of wind out of their sails. That was just something that they were going to have to overcome early. And they, they, they had some good plays. They really did, but they, they weren't able to, to generate the pressure that they needed to knock Penix off of his game. And you wonder how different things would have looked defensively if Jordan Birch was able to go. So that was a tough one. Oregon was able to, to win the middle eight, which was so important, but the, the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter, they were outscored 14 to seven. And, and uh, obviously you had to win the, the fourth quarter. If you wanted to, to come away with a, with a W on, on Friday night in the Pac-12 championship. And I think another thing that was really tough for Oregon this was wild. I feel like um, the the Huskies were driving and they were across midfield into Oregon territory. And I think it was, what time was it? I'm trying to look at the ESPN numbers here. Yeah. So Dylan Johnson, I, I feel like I remember looking up at this exact moment. Dylan Johnson ran for two yards down to the Oregon three for a first down. And I look up at the clock and I said, there's four minutes left in this game. And at this point, it was 24 to 27. Oregon was down. But at that point, it looked like it was just obvious that UW was going to score. And at that point, once they scored, they were down 10. And there was the, the, the clock was running out on the Ducks. The, the sun was setting on their college football playoff chances, on their Pac-12 championship chances. And that was another thing that UW did really, really well. Like, that's why I was talking about the death by a thousand cuts because they would just zip it out quick and, and gain four or five, six yards pretty easily. And because these receivers are so good, and then they would just pound the ball when they needed to move the sticks. And it was just churning the clock, churning the clock, churning the clock. So by the time Oregon had the ball left, they got to make something happen with very little time. So that was another thing that that obviously hurt the Ducks in that Pac-12 championship game is that the, the clock was working against them. But but then, hey, they get the ball back. Uh, they get the ball back with two and a half minutes left. And Bo Nix finds Treshawn Holden, who just takes off for – a 63 yard touchdown. And you think for a second, Oh, it's not over just yet. 34 31. But then the ducks need to get that onside kick. And it just, it didn't happen. I don't think they'd done an onside kick all year. Maybe the last one that they did was against UCLA in 2022, but that's, that's what it came down to. And they couldn't execute. So just some thoughts coming out of this game. Oregon's going to be, playing Liberty and the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's Day. Bo Nix is going to be playing in that game. So I think that's great in an era of college football where you see a lot of top players opt out of non 
college football playoff games. It's refreshing to see that Bo Nix wants to give it one more go with his teammates and, and suit up in the green and yellow one last time. Maybe we'll see a bit of Ty Thompson as well. I know there's been a ton of talk about the transfer portal and Oregon going after a quarterback. Dylan Gabriel, the Oklahoma transfer, is reportedly expected to visit Eugene this week. Seems like the Ducks are in a great spot there and that he could very well be the quarterback that they're going to take in the transfer portal. Maybe they take two quarterbacks and get Dante Moore, the UCLA transfer quarterback, who has who was previously committed to Oregon and has talked about prioritizing finding a place that can develop him. Um, I know Michigan is another school that's that's been mentioned there. Um, I think Miami was another one that recruited him coming out of high school. But maybe Oregon can take two transfer portal quarterbacks. That way you have Dylan Gabriel potentially for 2024, and then you already have a young star that has played a decent amount of college football. Dante Moore played nine games this year. I think that obviously it was a pretty mixed sample size and he, he didn't look super promising, but I don't think that the flip-flopping between quarterbacks that Chip Kelly did helped him a lot. It seemed like his confidence was totally shot by the end of the year, but maybe Oregon could take two quarterbacks and just get ahead of the curve before the 2025 season, seeing that it looks like a lot of these top tier contenders are consistently going to the transfer portal. But I think it's, it's nice to be in a new year six bowl, but just to know what could have been, Oregon was so close to a college football playoff berth. Now it's going to be Michigan, Texas, um, Alabama, and, and Washington. They were so close to getting a college football playoff berth. I think if they win that game, Bo Nix is probably the clear-cut favorite to win the Heisman. He was going into the game, but the wheels just kind of fell off. Um, he didn't play a bad game necessarily. The interception obviously really hurt him, but um, – there's just so much that the season could have been and they just needed to win one more game and they couldn't do it. Um, losing three straight to the same opponent arrival by three points uh, is crazy. And then if you're an Oregon fan, you got to be feeling a little bit dejected because you have no ammo against Washington. Now you, you lost to them at home. You lost to them in Seattle and you lost to them on a neutral site. And uh, the great teams can play anywhere. And um, it really felt like this was a great Oregon team, but to, to not execute and not get the job done, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave question marks. It's going to create doubt. But all that said, I, I still think that Dan Lanning is the, is the right coach for the Ducks. I mean, to, to be knocking on a college football playoff berth in your second season – as one of the youngest head coaches in college football, we saw clear signs of growth on both sides of the ball this year. Um, the, the offense was even better than it was under Kenny Dillingham last year. Will Stein was an art, was a Broyles award finalist for top assistant. The offensive line is a Joe Moore award finalist with a first year offensive line coach and a leak Terry obviously got to give a tip of the cap to Mike Cavanaugh and cutter left, left, which the, the rest of that offensive line staff, and then the defense made a tremendous leap. Um, the pass rush was consistent. The run defense was pretty good until that game against Washington. Um, I, the pass rush might have been the, the the greatest improvement that we saw from that group because there were just so many times last year they just could not generate a consistent pass rush. So that was really big. 
Uh, much more fundamentally sound from 2022 to 2023. Not a ton of missed tackles. The depth that you saw the, the coaching staff build out using some of the the highly sought after, highly coveted recruits from the 2023 class that played early that I mentioned er, uh, earlier in the show, uh, leveraging the transfer portal to bring in some guys to plug some holes uh, that were on the roster. Kyrie Jackson at corner, Justin Jacobs at linebacker, to name a few. Jordan Birch comes in from South Carolina. Will he be back yet next year? I'm not totally sure. If I had to guess right now, I would think he'd probably try for the NFL draft. But basically what I'm saying is that even though the season didn't end the way that fans wanted it to, I, I still think that there's a silver lining to be found. I, I I viewed this season as you have to get back to the Pac-12 title game. And, and maybe that's not a high enough standard for, for some fans, but you have to get back to the Pac-12 title game. I think with the four year, the four team playoff format, this was the year to get back to the playoff. You have a, an experienced quarterback, your second year with him. Um, you have plenty of trench talent. Um, seemed like the secondary left a little bit to be desired, but I still think it was a really special season. Um, only two losses. The The foundation that Dan Lenny has built, the culture that he's built, I think leaves you with a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to be competitive again in 2024. I think that even though this isn't a great result, you still move to the Big Ten Conference with with confidence that you can win at the point of attack. Um, I think you're definitely you got to be feeling more confident than SC is than, than UCLA is making this move. I think that Washington's going to be your biggest rival and your biggest competition outside of Ohio State and Michigan. Throw Penn State in there as well. On here, so I think they're in a really good spot heading into the big 10 to, to make some damage and uh, make some noise. I should say, do some damage and make some noise. So I think you have an opportunity to go out on a high note, send Bo Nix out on a high note, get one more win with number 10. And you have an opportunity to end your season the right way with a win. And that's all you can really ask for. The fact that you're still playing football, I think that's great. And um, I think that, Given the fact that there was so much more that they could have achieved, it definitely leaves a sour taste in your mouth. But the biggest thing that I'm trying to communicate is that I'm still confident in Dan Lanning. I still think he's got the right stuff. He's built a really good culture in Eugene. And um, Oregon's always going to be a destination for elite players. So obviously the execution wasn't where it needed to be in the Pac-12 title game, but I think there's still – uh, a lot that you can be confident about and, and happy about with what you saw from the Ducks this year. I think there's there's going to be a pretty big divide in terms of fans that are just going to say this this definitely wasn't good enough. This whole season was a waste. And then there's going to be fans that can uh, maybe maybe take it uh, take it with a grain of salt, if you will. Um, but Oregon has the ability to get to. They were a, a playoff caliber team, but you got to show up when it matters most, and they didn't. That's all you can really say. But I don't want to be too negative, so I'm going to I'm gonna wrap it there. But if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter, at mtourissports. I'm also at mtourissports on Instagram. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Drop a like while you're at it. We are on the road to 3K. And you can read all my written work covering the Ducks over on Ducks Digest. But until next time, appreciate you guys for listening. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.